0: Well, good morning. I was expecting to get up to you uh, today and to be able to um, confess to you the woes of my lowly Fighting Illini football team after yesterday's uh, painful experience against OSU, but of course that did not happen. And a lot of you feel that's kind of the story of 2020, isn't it? (laughs) This just keeps on over and over again. It just doesn't happen. Thanksgiving meals with your family that you've longed for so often don't happen. Wondering whether Christmas together will even be possible. All those different thoughts that we think of, it leaves us feeling like it's a state of exile, a place of separation. And it's so important... This year, I figured, hey, we've, we've talked about everything else in 2020. Why not just go ahead and end it on the book of Revelation, right? Why not? And so, so that's what we're going to do this Christmas, but not because it's, it's the end of the world that we're experiencing. The reality is, is that people, there's been plagues, there's been wars, there's been all kinds of things throughout history. Uh, we live in a pretty privileged age where we haven't had to deal with as much as that as many other people around the world. But the reality is, is that we feel exiled right now. We feel like we're in a place that it's hard to find hope. And that's the book of Revelation. John, one of the closest followers of Jesus, is right there, and he is literally in exile when he has this greatest revelation. And that's just amazing to me. And I know that there's a lot of different questions about the book of Revelation. So there's a couple of things that we're going to do. One is that uh, Nick has been working, for us, working on for us, uh, ecc.life. If you go there, there's a link uh, to the Bible app, and it's got all the notes on it from the sermon that you can go through there if these are some things you want to learn about. But, but secondly, I thought in honor of the late, great Alex Trebek, we would just play some Revelation Jeopardy. Uh, and not only in his honor, I guess in Sean Connery's honor, too, if you like SNL, uh, that recurring skit, which I can't quote anymore more from, uh, from the stage. Uh, but when we look at that, I want to just give you some trivia about this, and we're just going to call it apocalyptic jeopardy. That's what I call final jeopardy right there, right? So here we go. Are you ready? I just want you to shout out the letter of the answer that you think that it is. First, the proper English name of the last book of the Bible is A, Revelation or be Revelations? A? Hey, very good. I think the King James called it Revelations, but they had a lot of these and thousands in there and everything else in there. Revelation 1.1 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. So the word revelation there is actually the word apocalypse. You've heard of the word apocalypse, right? A lot of people think we're living in it right now. Well, let me tell you, in the original language, apocalypse does not mean the end of the world. Revelation, or Apocalypse or revelation simply means something that is revealed or unveiled. And so what revelation is, is while there's many visions, it's of one God. And it's God being unveiled to a group of churches that are going through tough times and are having trouble seeing him, okay? So, What we have to learn from there, the principle is, is that Revelation is more about who is revealed than what is revealed. If you come to the book of Revelation looking for answers on the end times and everything else, what I'm telling you is that if you go there and you don't find more of Christ, then you've missed the whole point. All right? Number two. Here we go. In the book of Revelation, there are over 500 references to A, the end of the world, B, the Old Testament, C, Israel, or D, America? The answer is not D. (laughs) The answer is not C or A. It is B. The Old Testament. The book of Revelation has 404 verses in it. And in those 404 verses, there are 517 allusions, is what we call them, to the Old Testament. So the, the whole principle here is, is that Revelation is best understood not by looking forward, but by looking back. And so, for example, in Revelation 1-7, it says, Look, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over Him, so it is to be. Amen. Now, that's actually interesting because there's quotes or you know, images from four different passages of Scripture. Isaiah 40, Isaiah 52, Daniel 7, and Zechariah 4, all in that one verse. And what's interesting is that while there's 517 allusions to the Old Testament, I didn't count those by myself, okay? While there are all those allusions, there's zero direct quotes, meaning something that's more than a sentence or too long. It's all these pieced-together images that John has that he expects the audience to know because they're a Jewish culture. So Revelation is best understood not by looking forward, but by looking back. And you can go buy all these books. You can get them a really good deal. If they're a couple years old on the book of Revelation, man, you can get them on discount. Do you know why? Because they're all outdated. They're all saying, oh yeah, the Iraq war, or hey, 9-11. All these things are like what's showing up in the book of Revelation. And the world's going to end. And a lot of people buy them, and then they're worthless in a couple of years because it didn't happen. Do you know what we call those? We call those false prophets. They said something was going to happen, and it didn't. All right. Revelation is best understood not by looking forward, but by looking back. Number three, what type of literature is the book of Revelation? Is it A, an apocalypse, B, a letter, C, a prophecy, or D, all the above? D, all the above. It actually says in the first four verses, and I won't go through these uh, for you, but in in the first four verses it mentions that it is all three of these things. It is an apocalypse, it is an unveiling, it's a letter, and it certainly contains prophecy, which we'll talk a little bit about what prophecy is next week. But here's the deal. John wanted Revelation to be read aloud, heard, and obeyed. Because the reality is, is that in their day, they didn't have a Bible that they could just open up. They were dependent upon the spoken word of God. Many of them didn't have a very high level of literacy because the printing press hadn't been invented, they didn't have books, right? I mean, it takes a long time to write a book, right? It takes a long time to copy a book. Some of you can attest to that from some of the papers you copied in college. It takes a long time, right? And so the whole thing here is, is that this, this is filled with images because it's meant to be memorable. And it's meant to draw upon the people's experience what they had grown up hearing in the Old Testament. And to point this forward, To the person of jesus christ which leads me to this question so how does the christ of the gospels jesus as he's presented in the gospels compare to jesus the christ that is presented in the book of revelation because in the book of revelation let's be honest it gets weird doesn't it i mean we got jesus here today we're gonna look at a passage where he's like got a sword coming out of his mouth And where he's got like white hair going on, looks like, you know, I mean, it's just just crazy like this scene of him. We see later on, instead of riding a donkey in the Gospels, Jesus is riding a war horse. I mean, it just seems like such a contrasting image. Is this the same Christ? In Revelation one eight it says I am the Alpha and the Alpha the, not the Alpha the Alpha and Omega says the Lord God which that's just the first two the, the, the first and last letters of the uh, Greek alphabet says the Lord God the one who is who was and who is to come the Almighty and this is written by John Jesus one of his right hand mans. John actually calls himself in his gospel the disciple who Jesus loved it's not that Jesus didn't love the rest but John's want us to say hey like I experienced it firsthand. I'm the one who's writing it. And he walked with Jesus. He literally saw Jesus in the miraculous catch of fish. He was there with, uh, with Peter and all the rest of them that were there when that happened. He was there when Jesus performed his first miracles. He was there when he rose Lazarus from the dead. He was there when He turned the water into wine. I mean, John was here through all these things. He was here when Jesus was crucified. He's the only disciple that was there. He was there beside Mary. And He was the first one to go run into the tomb when they heard of the resurrection. He saw Christ resurrected. He saw Christ ascend into the air. And then He went out, and for the last 60 years, when we pick up the book of Revelation, He's been serving faithfully. Has He seen more miracles? Of course. Has it been anything quite like walking with Jesus? My guess is probably not. That was probably a pretty special time, don't you think? And so here he is telling us about Christ. Here's what he wrote in the book of John. He says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, or lived among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So how does the Christ of the Gospels compare to the Christ in Revelation? I had Jeff Lee, who's an artist in our church, draw up a picture from Revelation chapter 1. I mean, this is the image that we see in chapter 1. I mean, we've got the sword coming from his mouth. Jesus has got eyes like lightning. He's got like the white hair. He's wearing these priestly garments. Uh, he's unveiled here to John in the midst of all this. I mean, let's be honest, this looks like a rock and roll cover from the, like, the early 90s, Right? I mean, it it is such a weird image. Is this Jesus the same in the book of Revelation that we see in the Gospels? Is this the same God who walked among us? Well, let's look at several different things from the text this morning. First, I'm going to take a look at Christ's presence. The presence of Jesus. It says, I, John, your brother and partner in the affliction, kingdom, and endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos. Now Patmos, just to put it simply, was a prison island. Think Alcatraz. Instead of only swimming through San Francisco Bay to get there, you got to swim 35 miles to get there. They didn't have jet skis or boats back then either. You ain't getting off Patmos. If you're sent there, you're stuck there until they let you off of it, Right? And here he is on exile. Can you imagine anything more deserting than being separated from your purpose? John's purpose to be a pastor to these churches, to lead these churches forward, to help them understand the Jesus who he experienced. And here he is on Patmos, exiled. And it says, because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. That's why he was there. He didn't rob the 7-Eleven, Alright? he was there for preaching christ and here he is exiled and i was in the spirit on the lord's day on a sunday he was worshiping there there wasn't no church around him it was just him and he still chose to worship and how many of us need to learn that lesson when nobody else is still around will you still worship I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. Here's the deal, guys. I know a lot of us feel like we're in exile right now. But you can be exiled from your church, from your country, your friends, your family, and even your mission field or your calling. But no one can exile you from God. He can break into the most secure of prisons and go right through the hardest of hearts. He will always be there even when you can't feel him. But as John finds out, if he wants you to know that he's there, he will let you know. And there will be no doubt. He's found his way into Pharaoh's throne room and with Moses, and into the lion's den with Daniel, into the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and even into his own tomb. But what's most important is not that he found his way in all those places, but that he found his way out of all those places. And Jesus can find his way into your exile. And most importantly, He can find his way out. And so this Christmas, when we feel like we are in exile, remember Jesus is there with you. Just as he was there in the Gospels, he is there in the book of Revelation. Secondly, we look to Christ's heart. It says in verse 12, Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. We're going to find out later on in the chapter, those represent the churches. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. Now, what's so cool about this passage is that the rest of this passage is very clear, king image. It's royal imagery designed to show us that Jesus is God's Son. Jesus is God. And yet, in this passage, what we have is we have this image that reveals to us Christ's heart. Why? Well, first, we see that He is walking among the lampstands. The first image that we see of Jesus in the book of Revelation is not Him high and exalted on the throne. No, it's clear that He's the King, but what is the King doing? He's not sitting on His throne. He is walking in the midst of His people. He is still Emmanuel, God with us. He is walking among His churches. You remember if you were here the last several weeks when we talked about those seven churches in the book of Revelation, they didn't have it all together, did they? They were as messed up as we are. Some of them, they made us look real, real good, didn't they? And yet God is there walking in the midst of all of them. And he walks among us as well. And what is he wearing? You, you might not catch this. I had to look it up myself. But, but the robe that is described as him wearing, this is actually a priestly garment that Aaron, as Moses' brother, Aaron the priest was instructed to wear in the book of Exodus. So Jesus is walking in our midst. And how is he dressed? Is he dressed as a king? No, it's clear that he's the king in the passage. Trust me. But in this image that John sees, he's dressed as a priest. He's dressed as a mediator between God and man. He's not far off, but he's walking in our midst. Emmanuel is still Emmanuel. God's heart for his people is as true as it ever has been. He is walking amongst us. As John's vision continues, it reveals something about Christ's power and His purity. It says, the hair of His head was white as wool, white as snow, and His eyes like a fiery flame. Now again, this is a mix of royal images and images of purity of power God being the Almighty but also the purity of who he is says his feet were like bronze fine bronze as it is fired in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of cascading waters can you just hear that for a moment in silence have you ever been to Niagara Falls I've been to Victoria Falls in, in Africa, in which there's over like a there's several million gallons a second. It's a mile-wide waterfall. And it is the most amazing thing. When it is going full force, standing across from it as it empties into a trench, it is just overpowering. Here John says, that's what Jesus' voice was like: it was like a cascading waterfall. And he had seven stars in his right hand. A sharp, double-edged sword came from his mouth. That's a weird image, isn't it? It's talking about the power of the Word of God. Do you realize that all the battles that we'll see in the book of Revelation, that they don't last very long? It's literally, there's all this anticipation, all this build-up. It's not like this you know, 25-minute fight scene like we have in today's minute, movies with all the different uh, computer graphics and all that. What we have here is literally whenever the fight scene builds up, God just speaks and it's over. It's just like the book of Revelation. He speaks and the earth's here. Boom. The galaxy's here. The universe is here. He just speaks it into being. And here is Jesus with this sharp two-edged sword coming out of His mouth. And it says His face was shining like the sun at full strength. And I love this image because when it talks about Christ's power and purity, that's not something that go together in today's world. Maybe you know somebody that's pure. Chances are they're not in power. Maybe you know somebody that's in power. Chances are they're not pure for very long anyway. Because at the end of the day, something about our human nature is that power tends to corrupt us. That's the reality. One of my, uh, I say favorite examples, but just the one that I know Uh, Robert Mugabe, he was the president of Zimbabwe. He was the revolutionary who led them to independence. I believe it was in 1980, back when they were in Rhodesia. Like, he was the revolutionary who led them all forward as a people. And they're like, yeah, freedom! You know, it's like William Wallace all over again. But this time they found out that freedom wasn't all that great because he became a brutal dictator from that point on. The man who set them free wound up being the man who enslaved them. That's human nature, but it's not God's nature, and it's not the nature of Christ. The reality is, is we see him here in this image as fully exalted, and yet he is 100% pure. He is trustworthy. He is good. The same goodness and power we see in the Gospels is the same goodness and power we see in the book of Revelation. As John's image continues, we learn about Christ's touch. And of all this emphasis on the Word of God and revelation, it's interesting how it's mixed in with the touch of Christ. It's one of my favorite images in the Gospels. It's John's or excuse me, Jesus' first miracle in, in the book of Matthew. It doesn't happen until chapter 8. It talks about before him, about him performing miracles. But what we see is just after the Sermon on the Mount, they were all amazed at his teaching because he taught as one with authority. And then just after that, it goes into a story of Jesus' first miracle. As Jesus is walking down the road, this leper, someone who probably hadn't been touched in years because of their physical condition, because of the fear that surrounded them, they were ostracized, they were exiled, you could say, from their community. And he comes and begs Jesus to heal him. We already know that God's Word is enough to heal somebody. But in this situation, it wasn't enough for Jesus. And it says in the Scripture that Jesus touched him first. And after He touched him, then He spoke the word of healing. Because there's something more about the Word of God here that needed to be said through the touch of Christ and here is John he has this vision and here is his response just like an Old Testament vision when Isaiah falls on his face when he sees the Lord and says woe to me for I am unworthy listen what it says about John when he sees Jesus it says when I saw him I fell at his feet like a dead man do you know that is right that's a dead man flat on his face And then it says that Jesus laid his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. Man, I love this. Because so many times we can get that woe to me part. We can get that part of I am unworthy. I don't deserve to be called God's son or his daughter. But it's this part that we miss. That it's that hand that makes us worthy. And God just doesn't declare you worthy and go on His way, but this this physical reach down and touch that John experiences in this vision. That same hand that he saw nailed to the cross 60 years ago is now reaching down and touching Him. As I was praying through this last night and just just saying, God, what do you want to say to your people? This part just really jumped out at me. Uh, And and I just prayed, God, would your people experience your touch? Would they know of your tender heart? Would they know, yes, that you are exalted? That you are one that if we see you exalted, our response will be to fall like dead people. But the moment we fall like dead people in our own unworthiness before Him, the reality is is that His hand is there lifting us up, honoring us as His creation. Have you experienced the touch of Christ? Have you experienced that His hand is not a heavy hand pushing you down, but is a healing hand? Offering you hope and the purity that you've longed for. That's the touch of Christ. It had been 60 years since John experienced it quite like that. And, And one of the only times where we see God touching anything in the book of Revelation, it was John who was touched. Christ's touch is the same as we see in the Gospels. And finally, Christ's victory. We see Christ in an unexpected victory in the Gospels. The Jesus who laid down his life took it back up again three days later. And listen to how Jesus introduces himself to John. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. I love this. I hold the keys. The reality is is that the victory of Christ is not one that he says, Look, I was dead, now I'm alive. Figure it out for yourselves, suckers. The reality of Christ's victory is that it is for us too. He is wanting to unlock your casket and mine. He offers us that forgiveness and that victory over both sin and death. Christ is victorious in the Gospels. And He is victorious in Revelation Then he says in verse 19, Therefore, write down what you have seen, what it is, and what will take place after this. John's instructions after the first vision of Jesus are write it down. Why? So he wouldn't forget it? (laughs) Do you think you'd forget seeing something like this? Of course not. John was to write it down so the hope that he had could be shared with others. And friends, once you have encountered Jesus our instructions are the same. Write it down. Shout it from the mountains. Go up from the roof and proclaim it. This is a message of victory that is meant to be shared. So, how does the image of Christ that we see in the Gospels compare to the Christ we see in Revelation? There's only one conclusion. And that is that the Christ who dwelt with us, reigns among us. The Christ who walked in Galilee is the same God who walks among the churches. The Christ who hung on the cross is the same God who is victorious over sin and death. The Christ who walked out of that tomb on resurrection morning is the same God who leads us away from death when He returns. The Christ who dwelt with us reigns among us today and forevermore. If this isn't a comfortable image of Christ, that's okay. If this doesn't feel safe, that's all right, because he's not. In our house, one of our favorite books to read together is The Lion, the Witch and the wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. Nora loves little Lucy, if you remember the story. Little, innocent, precious, tender-hearted Lucy. And at one point, Mr. Beaver is trying to explain Aslan, the Christ figure, the lion. And as he gets through explaining to Lucy, Lucy asks the question. She asked, Is... Is he safe? Mr. Beaver's response. Safe? Who ever said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. The God that we see in the Gospels in Revelation, it is clear that he is not safe. But it's clear that He's good. And it is clear that He is the King. Father, we, we trust in You. King Jesus, we look to You um, in this uncomfortable image that makes us just want to fall flat on our face, dead if we were to see it with our own eyes. We trust that You come and place Your hand on our shoulder. And tell us, do not be afraid. And God, in this year where we have seen so much that makes us uncomfortable, so much that makes us worry, so much that makes us fear, we pray that we would hear those same words today. Do not be afraid. Not because You're safe, but because You're good. So God, we just declare Your goodness and our ultimate trust in You today. That You are faithful. That You are worthy to be trusted. God, we trust in You. Jesus, we look to You, the author and perfecter of our faith, the One who has overcome even death. And we declare that You are good and that You are the King. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.